0: I think most of us in life live in a pretty much constant state of having some area of our lives that we want to be better. We're, we're people that want a lot of things. Uh, it's hard for us to sometimes be satisfied. And, and I don't just mean like, you know, I want more stuff. You know, a lot of us have more stuff than we know what to do with. Um, but I think we look at ourselves, and we want ourselves to be better. I want me to be a better me. And, you know, we have some area, some category where we want to be better, um, maybe you want to make better food choices. Maybe you want to be better off financially. Maybe you want to be a better spouse. Maybe you want to be in better shape. Maybe you want to be somebody who exercises more regularly. You could add a huge list of things to this these, this list of things that we want. Um, I'm one of those people who wishes I made better food choices. I firmly believe that I am a glutton. You don't hear that word a lot. It's a it's a Bible word, uh, and gluttony though is a sin. We don't talk about that very much, okay? It's when you crave food. I think the 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 best way to kind of understand gluttony is to kind of think of sexual immorality, lust. You're lusting for things that aren't yours, people that aren't aren't yours to be with, that kind of thing. Gluttony is the same way, but for food. I mean, sometimes the highlight of my day is, oh yeah. We're going out to eat tonight, and I know that, and I look forward to that all day. To cut back our spending, Abby and I recently decided that we would try not to eat out at any time except for Friday nights, and she can bring food home from work, and we'll sit down and have kind of a movie night, like picnic in the kitchen with whatever she's brought home. Fridays just became the best day of the week for me. Like all day, I'm like Abby. I'm really, really excited for this. Way more than I should be for Wendy's. Like this is like top notch. It felt like because we didn't have to make anything, we didn't have to clean up. And so I think I'm a glutton. And just to be clear, I think you are too. I think gluttony is the the most untalked about sin in our country. I think it is the most acceptable, encouraged sin um, in our country. Now, don't worry, I'm not gonna be like, give a sermon on gluttony, because I don't want us to feel guilty when we go to the buffets later. Um, But what I am saying is, I want to make better food choices. I have the means, I have the ability, I have the knowledge on how to make better food choices, and I still don't do it. Okay? The other night, uh, Abby was putting the boys down to bed, and sometimes that takes a little longer, and she fell asleep in there with them. And so I went in and turned on a show on Netflix, and I ate a whole sleeve of Fig Newton's. That's a half a package of Fig Newtons, right? By the way, like there's only two sleeves in a pack of Fig Newtons. I ate them all, and immediately regretted it. But if we buy more, I'm probably gonna do it again. Like that's just—I don't know why. It's like I have no self-control. It's like in those moments when those opportunities arise, I'm gonna make poor choices, and I don't want to, but I just do. And so whatever it is that you want to change—financial status, um, how you treat your spouse—maybe you want to change. Your life. So you want to make you want a meaningful spiritual change to take place in you. Why is it that we have so many things that we want to change about ourselves, and we don't? Why is it that our desire is not enough? We want to change, but we don't. Uh, I heard a pastor in Chicago a while back say that there's really only three approaches that we will take to life. Three approaches. Okay. The first group is this. There's a lot of people. Who are wasting their lives. Just totally wasting it. People who have no drive, no desire, no direction. These are people who don't want better. They just go through life, have no desires, no goals for the future. There's nothing out there on the horizon that they'd like to see come into their life. Um, they're like a, a sailboat without a sail. They're just floating along, whatever life throws at them, that's who they are. And they're wasting their life. They're, they have no ambition, no drive, no goals, no hopes and dreams for the future. Um, and maybe this is you. I hope this isn't you. Okay, This is the worst category. Okay, You don't want to be someone who's wasting your life. But you, even if this isn't you, I'll bet you can think of somebody that you know that's wasting their life. Uh, one of the key traits of some people who waste their life is they will often make themselves the victim of whatever circumstances that they are in. And here's why they make themselves the victim. Because since they don't try to gain anything, they don't try to do anything or change anything, when life takes a bad turn, they say, well, I didn't cause this. wasn't well, my fault. I didn't do it. And it's like, well, yeah, you didn't do it, but you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything to prevent it either, and they don't see that as their problem because they just let life happen to them, and they're not doing anything to shield themselves from the daily bad things that happen, and so they will often set themselves up as a victim because they're wasting their lives. They're going through life without a rudder, without a steering wheel. Now again, hopefully this isn't you, and this is a smaller group of people. The biggest group, however, is what I think most of us fall into, those of us who are wanting something better. We actually have goals, have dreams. When I listed the wants, finances, you know, health, exercise, um, how we treat our spouses, better marriages, we want better things. We actually see a better future that's possible for us. And we spend our lives wanting that better future, that future where we're skinnier, that future where we can wear those pants that we wore in high school, even though style-wise you should never wear those pants that you wore in high school, Right? Um, we ha- that future where we actually have money tucked away, that future where we actually have a meaningful relationship with God that we talk about in church all the time. And we want and we want and we want, but most of the things we want just always seem a little bit out of reach. They're that thing we don't quite have yet, that thing that j- now is just not the right time to get there. Now is not the right time for us to do what it takes to get there. And so we want but don't get. And I think this is the overwhelming majority of people All of us have wants, all of us have dreams, all of us have hopes, and most of those hopes, most of those dreams are unattainable for us, at least it feels that way. Now, there is a smaller group, a third group that is also smaller, just like those who are wasting their lives as a small group, there's a third group, a select group, a few people who actually see those things that they want and they go out and grab hold of them. Now, let me put a little preface here before I get into this. What I'm about to tell you is not prosperity gospel nonsense where I'm trying to convince you that if you have enough faith, God will heal all your diseases and drop a Cadillac into your driveway. That's not what this is. I'm not going to tell you if you put 100 bucks in the plate today, you know, God's going to give you tenfold back next week. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? This isn't a, a spiritual trick to get whatever you want in life. What I am saying is there are a lot of the things on those list of wants that you and I have that God has already laid the path for, that he has already spelled out in Scripture, if you do these things, your life will go this way, and we are not taking that road. If you follow these rules, these these traits, these principles, your life will most likely turn out a certain way. There's rules on finances, on how to treat your spouse. There's rules on how to grow spiritually, all these things. There's even rules on how to eat. I mean, gluttony is talked about in the Bible. It doesn't say don't eat a whole sleeve of fig newtons, but it says it in not so many terms. Okay, and so those things are laid out and there are so many ways where I think God has cleared the road, given us instructions for how to get the things that we want and it's just that we aren't doing those things. We are missing one key trait that will open our life to being not just the life that we want but that life that that is not just those things out there that we can't grab but we can actually grab hold of a lot of the things that we say aren't for us in this season and here's what it is. Willing. Now, wanting and willing are two different things. Wanting is that desire to have it. Willingness means I am actually willing to do what it takes. And more specifically, I am willing to pay whatever cost I have to pay to get that thing that I want. And everything in your life has a cost. And the currency might be time, the currency might be energy, the currency might be money. But a lot of the things that you want that you don't have, it's because you aren't willing to do what it takes to get there. Um, My guess is that most of you are here in church because you desire some sort of spiritual significance, some type of change or growth in your life. I hope you do. I do not understand why anyone would get up early on a day they have off, why they would give up time where they could be doing nothing, Resting, sleeping in, or maybe checking things off your to-do list. I don't understand why people would get up early on a Sunday, wrestle their kids into clothes, brush their teeth, feed them breakfast, and, ch- and drag them, not drag them hopefully, but get them to, sometimes it feels like dragging, okay, but get them to church, okay? It's like herding cats, that's, you know, but why would we do all of that stuff to come to a place That we don't have any dreams or hopes that it's going to affect us. We don't don't have any goals when we come here. That doesn't make any sense to me. If you have no hope for spiritual growth, no hope that God would touch your life and change your life in any meaningful way, go somewhere else. Sleep in. It's going to do you just as much good. Now, do not stay home next Sunday and say, the preacher told me to. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to convince you to want growth, okay? I don't want you to waste your life. But here's the thing. A lot of people, Christians, Don't have any significant spiritual change in their life year after year after year. Why? You know what to do if you've been to church for any amount of time. I've talked about reading the Bible, praying, um, getting in a group of people that want growth like you do, and so you can encourage one another. I've talked. I mean, you've heard the stuff. It's not it's not rocket science to figure out how spiritual growth can be uh, facilitated in your life. But still, you got tons of Christians in church all the time, and no change. Well. Let me tell you at least one thing that's very good for you if you have a desire for spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is not only possible, it's promised. Spiritual growth is not just possible. It's not just that thing that you want that's out there that's unattainable. It is actually promised. There are, there are so many places in the Bible that, that spell out ways that you and I can have our lives changed, have our hearts changed in a meaningful way. I mean, the whole essence of the gospel is that you and I can be changed. That Jesus died on a cross, to, and one thing that he did on the cross was to break sin's hold on our life. Before Christ, sin and humans just go together. Sin and humanity is inseparable. But Jesus died on the cross to break the power of Satan, sin, and death so that we could put away some of those old sinful things, those, put off those old sinful desires and live in a new life that is drastically changed, drastically different than our old life. And so it's not only possible, growth, change is promised to those of us who seek it. But just as it's promised that you can grow, there's another thing that's also equally true, and this is kind of a bummer, is that no one ever coasts into spiritual growth or growth of any kind. No one ever coasts to spiritual growth. The people that we often look to as examples of our faith, the people that we w- hope to one day be like, they didn't just wake up that way one day. You realize They didn't just wake up one day being a great example for people to look up to. Um, nobody who hopes To be a better Christian, one day, nobody just wakes up and thinks, you know what, I really used to struggle to even remember to pray, let alone want to pray, and last Thursday I woke up, and I love it, I can't stop praying, that's all I do. The other day, I I stopped at a red light and found myself getting honked at because I was too busy praying to Jesus through the green. Like, nobody says that. Nobody just wakes up one day with an ability to quote Bible verse after Bible, Bible verse for any relevant situation in their life. That's not most people's story. Nobody's going to wake up one day and say, you know what, my anger really used to get the best of me, but I woke up one morning, and it's just like, I got all kinds of self-control. All of a sudden, I just, my anger doesn't lead me to throw things across the room anymore or yell at my kids. All of a sudden, I'm just cool as a cucumber. It's not that I don't get mad. I just got self-control like you wouldn't believe. Now, I will say, I've heard a few, emphasis on a few times where it was like the Holy Spirit just grabbed somebody's heart and did an an amazingly powerful change that seemed instantaneous. A few. You will not be that exception, most likely. Our story is most likely going to be a road where we intentionally put forth effort, where we intentionally picked a direction that we wanted to go and we worked for it. That is most likely how most of us are going to grow it's not going to be our story becoming the man or woman of god that you want to be is not going to be automatic for you it probably won't be easy and you certainly cannot coast toward maturity with no direction and no intention it takes willingness your willingness to make changes to pay the cost to have that growth and again everything has a cost And we're going to talk about that as we get into our verses today, our Bible story today. Um, If you are a Christian and you've been to church too many times, we're going to look at a very familiar passage probably to you. It's very popular. If you're not a Christian and you don't know this, that's okay. Um, But it's it's a very powerful story. It's called the story of the rich young ruler. And it's mentioned in three of the Gospels. There's four Gospels. A Gospel, if you aren't familiar, is a Jesus-focused biography. And there's four of them that start the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's in there's a version of this story in three of the four Gospels. We're going to look at the one in Mark. So if you want to grab a Bible, uh, feel free. Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. We'll start in verse 17, Mark 10, 17. It's on page 846 in the Black Pew Bibles if you want to do those. Um, or the verses will always, always be on the screen here. Now... Um, Each of these stories that we find in the three Gospels, they tell you a little bit different version, a little bit different perspective on the story, okay? And you get a little bit of details that you can kind of put all these things together. For instance, in Matthew's version, we learn that this guy is rich, right? Or excuse me, we learn that he's young. In Matthew's version, we learn that he's young. In Luke's version, we learn that he's a ruler, and all of them say that he's rich. Every one of these tell us that he's rich. Now, that rich, young ruler, that tells you a lot about a guy, right? He's got some money, got some means, didn't have to work a lot to get it, or maybe he just struck it overnight, you know. Silicon Valley startup things happen all the time in our situation. I don't know what that the equivalent would have been 2,000 years ago, but this guy had money, he was young. He had some sort of authority, he's a ruler, so he's got power, he's got authority, he's got money, and he's still young. And, you know, I read this and it's like, well, I bet he's probably got washboard abs, too, and long flowing hair. Like, what a jerk, like he's got all the things, And so as we get into the story, we learn that this guy has a lot going for him. And so it says, as he, this is Jesus, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So for all that this guy has, he still has something that he wants, a desire. He wants what Jesus is handing out, eternal life. Life. And this guy would have been Jewish, okay? Most likely a Jewish guy. And in the Jewish culture, they, they knew the way to heaven. Follow the Old Testament laws, okay? But there's something that, that nags at him that thinks maybe that's not enough. Maybe I'm missing out. He's a guy that's worried that for all the rule following that they do in the Jewish culture, he's missing out on something that's going to get him the thing that he wants, which is eternal life. And he runs up to Jesus, okay? Again, this is interesting, because again, he's a guy, he got money, he's got power, he's got youth, washboard abs, long flowing hair, he's a looker, right? He's got all the things, so I'm assuming he's a looker, just because it fits with the story. It's so frustrating, he probably has everything, right? And so he, um, he runs up to Jesus. It's like, what are you running for? What do you need? Because he, he feels that need. He runs up to Jesus. Not walks, not saunters, runs. And he drops to his knees in front of Jesus, and he call, even, even calls him good teacher, Like, he's he's even trying to flatter him or show him some sort of respect. He's doing everything he can to try to get the answer that he wants out of Jesus. So he can check off these requirements for heaven. And Jesus replies back, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. That might seem a weird reply. Of all the things this guy said, Jesus picks out the name that he called him. And basically what Jesus is saying here is he's just trying to start pointing this guy's attention to God saying eternal life is God's gift to humanity. And if you're looking, you're looking for something to do, you need to start looking to God, the Heavenly Father. So Jesus just starts to try to redirect his attention upward. And Jesus tells him, you know the commandments. You're Jewish. You've been taught this stuff since you came out of the womb, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. You know, you know what is taught as the way to heaven. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth, but, I, but there's this feeling that he has that he needs something more. Is there anything I've missed? I've done all the standard stuff, and I want heaven, I want eternal life. But what Jesus says next escalates the whole situation. He helps this guy get past wanting, and he starts to ask this guy, are you really willing? And most of us never make that transition. We sit there and think about all the things that we want. You know how many conversations Abby and I have about wish we were in better shape, wish we wouldn't eat like we eat, wish we would, could do more things, wish we were more organized, wish we had more, were better with our time so we could get our kids to do more things? All the wanting conversations that we have, we get stuck in the things that we want to do, the life we wish we had. And Jesus pushes it past just wanting and actually confronts this guy with the situation. Are you really willing? You want heaven? Okay, that's fine. You want eternal life? That's great. Are you willing to pay the price? And Jesus says to him, looking at him, says Jesus loved him. Now notice, Jesus hasn't got the answer from this guy yet, hasn't even posed the question to this guy yet. And it says Jesus just loves the guy. And just to pause, this little side note doesn't have necessarily anything directly to do with where we're going but just it's worth being said sometimes we think we got to clean ourselves up to a certain level before jesus will love us sometimes we think coming to church means getting your life somewhat in order to come to church you know you got to clean everything up get you know some of the sins scooped out of your life before jesus is willing to accept you because the guilt and the shame of all the bad that you've done feel like you're unworthy of him but jesus loves you where you are jesus loves you whether you're willing. Or not, Jesus loves you whether you're wanting or not. Jesus loves you whether you want to pursue him or not. He loves you just the way that you are. And Jesus said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions guy cruises up to Jesus runs up to Jesus at first Jesus drops the hammer are you willing to pay the cost and the guy just kind of walks away sad now the the some people will try to teach you that this is a universal thing and that if you really want to be a Christian you need to give everything you have live in eternal poverty in this life so that which uh, I guess that some people can teach that from this but I think the real thing is here that Jesus knew this guy's heart and he knew this guy loved his stuff because he was rich all three parables, all three versions say that he was rich it's not left out of a single one he said he had all the stuff and Jesus knows his heart is tied to the stuff he loves his stuff, he loves his money he loves his possessions, he loves his luxury he loves his lifestyle more than he loves God he loves rich being more than he loves God and often what keeps you and I from having the relationship with God that we want is some sort of a barrier. Something that is in our life that we love, that we are unwilling to give up in order to get to God. And for this guy, it was money. And so Jesus tells him, you got to get rid of that thing that's between you and God. Are you willing to pay that cost? And that's the question here. Are you willing to give up whatever you got to give up? Have a closer relationship with your heavenly Father. Are you willing to reevaluate how you live your life? You know, I don't know if many of us can get to that point. That's a hard place to be because we think our life is great. That's why we have the life that we have oftentimes. We think the way that we are living our life is the right way to live our life. Even with all of the wants that we have, we have our schedule the way we want it. We have our time spent the way we want it. We give our energy to the things that we want it. And Jesus says, are you willing to evaluate your life, maybe even rearrange your life, Or declutter your life, get rid of some of the things in your life that are there. Change your schedule, change whatever. Are you willing to rearrange and do whatever it takes so that you have time and energy to invest in the most important thing, a relationship with Jesus, a growing, thriving, saving relationship with Jesus? Now, this guy's thing is money, and I'll be honest with you, I like me some money. Uh, You know, I looked at how I've lived my life and how I've often been like, scrooge mcduck when it comes to money i very much want more i am very prone to sliding into get rich quick schemes i have i don't do that anymore but boy i used to any any get rich quick scheme i was a sucker for it you know i would have i was a pyramid schemer's dream when i was in college right and i just loved that idea of what if i did this and then i had more money and i don't want to let go of the money that i do have and i'm not even rich I can't imagine how how tied to that I would be if I had all the money and all the stuff that I could possibly dream of. And so one thing that has been important for my spiritual life was at some point I had to make the decision that I'm going to consistently be generous in my giving to my local church. I did it before I came here. I tried to do it here. I'd automate it if I could. I mean, I don't want that to be, I want that to be standardized so that I don't have the chance to say no. Another thing I've had to do is I've had to kind of take some of my scroogish beha- behaviors and shove them in the back seat when Abby comes up to me and says, here's somebody I think we should help. What if we gave this to this person? Every time I'm like, eh. But if we give it to them, then we won't have it. And I wanted to have it. You know, I had plans for that money. I had plans for that thing. And, and she's much more naturally generous than I am. And I, I mean, I have, when it comes to, do you want to spend money? I always want, No. No, you got stuff. Her sister's getting married and we're buying suits for the boys, suits for me. I got a new suit because I I did a wedding last year after it was over. Went to unplug my computer, leaned under my desk, ripped the whole back of my pants wide open. (laughs) I've never been so glad to be alone in a church building, I'll tell you that. So I had to buy a new suit. She gets a bridesmaid's dress. I mean, it's just—I was like, I didn't know your sister's wedding was going to cost us so much money, you know. And so it's like, why? Surely we can find something else for the boys to wear. I mean, they're ring bearers, but I'll bet we got something. Surely you got another dress, you know? All that stuff is going through my mind. You need shoes. You look at your shoes. You got all kinds of shoes, you know. And that's—I mean, my when it comes to spending money, my natural response to any spending money is no. Why would we need to spend more money? And. It's because my heart is very easily more drawn to that than my relationship with my Heavenly Father. And I had to get honest with myself at a certain point in my life, and I'm lucky I did it younger rather than later, to say, am I willing to give up my love of money, my desire for more, so that I don't have that in my way when it comes to my relationship with God? And for some of you, it's probably money. It's a lot of people's struggles, money. That's why Jesus talked about money more than heaven or hell, I think. Because money is something that so strongly grabs our hearts. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you're like the guy in the story. But for some of you, it's something else. It could be relationships. It could be the way your schedule is lined up. It could be hobbies. It could be activities that are honestly arranging your life in such a way that there is nothing left for you to invest in your spiritual life. Nothing. And, and it's no wonder that you look the same year after year after year and you don't grow. You don't have any time for God, anything meaningful to give to him. You're too tired. You're too broke. You're too, you're too hurried to have any moments, anything to give to your heavenly father. And so you've got to ask yourself the question, am I willing to pay the cost? If I really think having a relationship with God, a saving relationship with Jesus is important, I want it. Otherwise I don't think you'd be here. I want it, but are you willing to pay the cost? Could be could mean giving up a hobby for a season. You know, I that's one thing that I it was a hard thing to realize that when I had kids, I don't I don't get to do anything anymore. <laughs> anything. I remember the first time like this really hit me. James was just getting old enough he could walk around the house a little bit, and I love TV. I always have. I can quote movies from 1985 better than I can the Bible. That's just the dumb way my brain works. And I love TV and all that stuff, right? And I was watching The Walking Dead, and there's one day I was like, I don't think I can watch this with James around anymore. Because when they're like six months old, they don't know. They're just staring at the fan, being thrilled that the (laughs) fan's on, you know? But there's one day I'm like, that thing's pretty scary, and he started to watch the TV for a minute. I don't think I get to watch what I want to watch anymore. Nobody told me I'd have to make this decision when I had kids. And ever since then, all I've watched is Sesame Street. And Octonauts, and shows that some of you never even heard of. And, and it, you know, there's things you got to give up. And so it's like, okay, if I'm going to be a Christian, and I'm going to be a dad, and I'm going to be a good husband, it's like, I don't have time for some things. I don't have time for hobbies, okay? I don't do anything, really. I come home, and I try to be a dad, and I try to not lose my mind around all my kids. I struggle with that. (laughs) Um, What are you going to give up? I mean, but there's something you might have to give up. It might mean, honestly, and I say this, and this is going to hurt some people, it might mean rearranging your schedule in the sense of you say no to opportunities that you feel really drawn to. It might mean that you say no to your kids when it comes to playing that extra sport, doing that other activity that all their kids are doing, just so that you guys can have a night together. To, to have space so that you can be rested and not angry and tired so that you're not chauffeur all the time so that you can actually have space to maybe actually have a spiritual conversation with those kids that you are charged with raising in the faith. And you think, oh, that's terrible. I don't want to, because I'll be a weirdo among everybody I know. Okay, but if they're all heading nowhere spiritually, then maybe doing what everybody else is doing is not going to help. Maybe you need to make some changes. Maybe you're in a marriage that is just full of anger. It's just a little hostile because of the way things have been going for a while. He said things, you said things, she said things. It's gone back and forth, and it's just been snipey and bad. And and maybe it's been that way so long that when you look at your marriage and, and the thoughts of change have even faded away, and you look at your marriage with apathy, you're just getting through the day. Your marriage is in survival mode. Maybe the thing that you've got to give up is your anger, is your bitterness, is your desire to have an apology from your spouse for what they did. And you set all those things aside and you begin serving them the way we're called to serve in Scripture. You don't treat them the way they've treated you. You don't treat them a certain way because of all the, based on how the anger is built up over the years, but you treat them the way Christ has called us to act in a marriage. That's hard. That's hard you got to set your pride on the line because I know what it's like when you've had any sort of a relationship and there's bitterness and, and anger there and you don't want to let that go. You're owed that apology. But what's best for your marriage? The kind of marriage that you hope to have. A marriage that's not just one you survive but one you thank God for every night when you go to sleep. you got to set some things aside. And so you've got a list of all the things you wish you had. Are you willing to do what it takes to get them? Because you want better but are you willing to to do what it takes to have better. And that's what separates the huge group of people that are wanting from that small sliver of the population who are willing and actually have the things they want. Willingness is what separates an occasional church attender to somebody who truly knows and has had their life changed daily by Jesus. Willingness is the difference between a surviving marriage and then again one that you thank God for when your head hits the pillow at night. Willingness to let go of all those things that seem important, so that you can have what's most important in your life. And I don't think for most of you, the problem is not desire. We all have the desire. We all want more. We all want better. The ability. You have the ability, too, don't you? Most of us. And you know, the, you have the knowledge. You know how to eat better. You know how to get in better shape. You know how to exercise. You might not know how to do it right, but you could probably do something that will put a sweat on your on your brow, right? We all have the knowledge we all have the ability and we have the desire that's not the problem the problem is our willingness to pay the cost to get there and so what that means is the ball's in your court you can't just sit back and go oh my church isn't helping me grow oh you know life's too busy to invest in whatever to try to get in shape life's too busy to go to church more often life's too that, that the excuses are gone the ball is in your court if it's all about your willingness You can say, I want to grow, I want to grow, I want to grow, all day long. But wanting is not enough. You've also got to be willing to pay the cost. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand that the best things in life often will take some effort and some energy for us to attain them. And these aren't things that you've made impossible for us. Having financial freedom for a lot of us, that's not an impossibility. It's just being willing to follow the principles you've laid out in your word. Being willing to be different. Being willing to tell ourselves no when it comes to daily purchases. Following in the footsteps of Jesus. Being more loving and more kind, more gracious. Being somebody who is peaceful at heart rather than somebody who's driven along by the ebbs and flows of anxiety. That stuff's not impossible. You've you've placed commands and, and instructions in the Bible. And a lot of us have heard sermons on them and, and done Bible studies on them and been in Sunday schools and growth groups that were taught on these things. And we know what to do, and we just haven't been willing to do it. You haven't placed these things out of our reach. We have placed them out of our reach. These aren't impossible things. And so I pray, Father, that we would understand that, yes, there are some things that we are dependent on you to put into our lives, but in many ways, a better life is possible. Certain areas of our lives can change and can start changing today if we are only willing to do what you've called us to do, to live how you've called us to live. I pray that you would help us to stop making excuses, to stop wasting our time, to stop living directionless lives in certain respects, and to start understanding that in a lot of the ways that we are wanting, we can make progress if we would just listen to you, if we would just accept that responsibility, if we would just understand that what we're giving up, it might feel like a lot, it might feel like we're throwing away something important, but we're giving it up to get something much more important. And when it's our spiritual life, it's a relationship with you that grows and changes, not just to getting our ticket to heaven punched, but to actually have life change here and now, our hearts changed here and now, having a life of purpose here and now. I pray that we wouldn't throw that away, because we were simply unwilling. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.